before we delve into Genesis chapter 15, would you pray with me? Father, we submit ourselves to you now to teach us from your word and to transform us from your word. And I ask that you would do wonders. And we trust you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to talk to you today about belief. That's what the passage pertains to today. Belief. Um, what we believe is what we consider to be true and reliable and trustworthy. And our life flows from our beliefs. So as you think about your life and you look back over the course your life has taken, there's many ways to interpret it. And one very true way is to say that it flows from what you have believed over the course of your life. So, for example, think about the news. The news outlets that you believe shape your perception of current events. If you believe Rush Limbaugh and Fox News, you're going to have a different perspective on current events than someone who believes The Daily Show and MSNBC. You guys will be living in two different worlds from each other. If, if some of you guys like one or the other and you talk with somebody else from the opposite, you're going to think that you're living in a different country because what you have believed there has shaped your perception of what's going on right now. Another example, think of yourself when you were in school or your kids or grandkids in school. Whichever influence you believe is the most trustworthy and reliable and true is going to be the influence that ends up shaping the way you live and the decisions you make and your behavior. So if, if when you were in elementary school or middle or high school, if you believed your parents were the trustworthy, reliable influence, you would make decisions that reflected that. But if you believed your peers, these other kids were the trustworthy and reliable influence, your decisions would reflect that. And you can kind of see looking back the different camps of people, and it depends on who they trust and what they believe. We're going to talk today, as you might guess, about a deeper level than those things, or even a higher level, depending on how you want to look at it. My hope is that this passage, this is going to be our final passage in Genesis for the fall, and uh, we, Lord willing, will be back next fall in 2020. But my hope is that this final passage, Genesis 15, is going to strengthen our belief in God. It's going to strengthen our conviction that he is true and reliable and trustworthy. And then out of that belief will flow a life of strength and peace and joy and purpose and eternal value because that's how things work. So we're going to jump right in in verse 1 of chapter 15. Uh, looking out there, most of you have been here over the last several weeks, at least most of the last several weeks. So you probably remember the flow of the story of Abram. Uh, he had just defeated these armies and rescued his nephew Lot, and then he was blessed by this mysterious king, Melchizedek, and we find ourselves here now <clears throat> in Genesis 15, verse 1, and we see the Lord making a promise to Abram. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So the word of the Lord came, comes to Abram in a vision. We need to try to put ourselves in, in there to visualize this, put ourselves in the scripture here. 
It doesn't, it never describes it as fully as you would want how the word of the Lord came to him in a vision, but it did. Um, And he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Not sure why Abram might be afraid. I don't know if um, he's expecting reprisals from these kings that he just defeated, or if the adrenaline of battle has worn off now, and now the emotions of anxiety are flooding in their place, or if it's because the vision itself is scary, because often you see that. You would think it would be cool to get a vision from God, but often it was really scary, and the first thing God would have to say or his messenger would have to say is, it's okay, settle down. One way or the other, God is telling Abram not to be afraid. He says, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. So he's restating his determination to bless Abram and take care of him. What happens next, a little bit unexpected. You might think if you're in Abram's shoes, what would happen next would be just gratitude. Thanks, God, that's awesome. I really appreciate it. But listen to how Abram responds in verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Now at this point, it's helpful to remember, and I'm going to read it one last time, but since it is our last Sunday in Genesis, that all of this story of Abram was based on promises God made at the beginning of chapter 12. I'm going to read those three verses just to refresh our memory of why Abram might be responding this way. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3 records Abram's call and the Lord's promises to him. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Leave your people and your place and and everything that you have known up to this point to a land that I'll show you later. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed there's a lot in there but part of it is a nation was supposed to come from Abram he was supposed to have offspring a lot of offspring as many as the dust of the ground And yes, the Lord had been faithful to him when he went down in Egypt, if you remember that part of his story. And yes, God had been faithful to him when he went to rescue Lot. And that's all good and well, but where is my child? Where are these offspring that you promised me? He says the heir of my house is Eliezer. This is a member of his household, probably a servant, who likely, if he never had any offspring, he would be forced to adopt to be the heir He said, this just isn't working out the way I thought it was going to when you promised me this. So, is Abram disbelieving God here to question him like this? It almost comes across disrespectful, doesn't it? Makes you think of a a kid talking to their parent, like, "Don't, don't question your parent, you know, just trust them. Well, I don't think, I think Abram's heart is in the right place, and there's three clues in here as to why. First, the way he addresses God Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord God, sovereign Lord, master. So he's starting off on the right foot. Though he is going to investigate this promise, he does so on the basis of, I know that you are the Lord God. I know that you're in control. 
I know that I belong to you, everything belongs to you, and you're in charge, and you know what you're doing. But I do have a question. So the first clue is what he calls God. The second clue is what he wants. He's not asking for goods and treasures and and wealth. He just turned all that down when the king of Sodom offered it to him, if you remember last week. What he wants is the promised child. What he wants is for God's purposes to be fulfilled. I don't think that he's being unbelieving or ungrateful. I think he's eager to see God's purposes that he promised to come about. He wants to see God's promises happen. It reminds me of children who, heading into Christmas time, the tree is there and the decorations are there, but there's no gifts under the tree. And they may come to their parents and say, where are the gifts? He said, well, it's a month before Christmas. We haven't gotten there yet. Well, where are they? I want them. I'm, re- I'm eager. I think that may be more the spirit of this. Where is the child? I'm eager for this, these promises. I'm eager to see this nation begin that you are building. Investigation into God's promises is not disbelief. It's taking those promises seriously. As I've been thinking about it this week, I think that I may, I may convey more disbelief when I don't investigate God's promises than Abraham would be here by investigating them. For instance, the Bible promises that we can be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, let our requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. I think if I really believed that, there would be many times in my life that I would be going to God the way Abram is here, saying, where's the peace? I believe that you promise this. I believe that you can do it. I'm not feeling it. Where is it? I want the peace. I think sometimes, maybe, if I'm honest, maybe I don't fully actually believe it. And so I'll pray, but then I'll pursue peace otherwise. But Abram believes it. He is taking this seriously. He is banking his whole life on God's promises coming through. So he wants to know, where, where is my child? Where is this child? And the third clue that I think Abram's heart is in the right place is how God responds. God doesn't correct him. God doesn't say, never question me. Instead, God reassures him in the verses that follow. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, your servant, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look to heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So just like an earlier passage, he said, look, the dust of the earth, that's how many offspring you're going to have. He reassures him, I am still going to do this. I know you're old. I know Sarai is old. I know she has been barren up to this point. And I know as of yet, I have not given you a single child, but go look at the stars of the heaven. I picture it like being out in the field at the camp at Blowing Rock, where you don't have so many lights contaminating the darkness, and you can see all those stars. He says, just quiet yourself down and count those stars. If you can count those, that's how many offspring you're going to have. And then we get to verse 6, which I think is the most important verse of the passage. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That is a huge verse, and we're going to come back to it. I'm not going to elaborate on it yet. 
because I want to read the rest of the passage. So the interaction goes on into verse 7. What's going to follow is going to be a little more bizarre than what has come before, and I'm not really going to explain it all, partly because I'm not sure I understand it all, and partly because I really want to land on verse 6, and I want to have time for that. So verse 7, it kind of starts up again. The Lord gives him another promise. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Another promise, this time about land. And once again, Abram investigates the promise in verse 8. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And then what follows is another reassurance, but this one's a lot more elaborate, and you're going to have question marks popping up over your head as I read it. But just hang in there with me. I'm going to read the whole rest of the passage. And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, in your quiet times this week, did you sense the Lord asking you to do anything like this? To go and gather all this livestock? I always try to visualize what I read, and I always wonder, how do they catch these birds? I'm sure they had ways, but Abram here now, maybe he got a servant to do it, but they had to, they had to catch a bird. They had to gather these animals. Verse 10, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. And he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Okay. There's no explanation given here. I'm not sure I'm going to try to give an explanation, but let's keep reading for now. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. So here's Abram. He's gathered these animals and he's cut them in half and he's put them kind of opposite each other. And there's like buzzers, like the same ones that like to swarm around our church for whatever reason, coming down and Abram's having to shoo them away. I don't know if you've ever been close to a buzzard or a vulture. I don't even really know the difference between the two. They're big, heavy birds. They land on our house all the time because they hang out on the cell phone tower over here. So you can picture Abram like just trying to keep these big, dumb, ugly-looking birds away, and then a deep sleep falls on him. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So you know, as we've been studying Genesis, we keep trying to remember who were the first ones to probably hear this scripture. It was most likely Israel, after they had done a little over 400 years of slavery in Egypt, before they were about to try to conquer the promised land. So you can imagine for them to hear, this was told to our forefather Abram that all this Egypt stuff was going to happen long before it did. Our time in Egypt, those four generations-ish in Egypt, 
That's not a sign that God has forgotten us and we are on our own. It was part of the plan. And then they read on as they, they turn from looking at their past in Egypt and they look toward the promised land that they are to go and conquer. They read on in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So if you're trying to visualize this, you've got these animals cut in half and, and set opposite each other. And now a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And the face some of you are making is the same face that I have to make because it's not clearly explained, but it seems to be some kind of a covenant-making ceremony that God is bringing about. Because what comes next, he says, verse 18, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so Israel hears this, and they are strengthened in their resolve, in their faith, in their belief in God. That time in Egypt was not God dropping the ball. It was part of the plan. And now this land belongs to us. And so believing in God, they could charge forward, and they could conquer the promised land. Now, while there is much to be said about that last part and many questions that resonate still in our minds, many of which I don't have good answers for you, I, there's a lot of different theories about some of the details of all that, but where I'd like to land with you is at verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Being our final sermon in Genesis for this year, this sums it up pretty well. In one way or the other, this has been our takeaway from every message. Believe the Lord. Abram could trust the Lord. Israel could trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord. When Abram trusted the Lord, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness, and that's still the way the Lord operates. I want to zoom ahead to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. This comes right before Paul starts to think about Abram and his faith. But this is a little earlier in his train of thought. Romans 3, 21 through 24. This is referring to the new covenant in Jesus Christ. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Still, belief is what is counted as righteousness. Not being good, as Debbie shared in her testimony. Not even going to church and doing churchy things. It's believing God. And in the new covenant, that is focused down to belief in one central thing, believing in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross in payment for our sins and arose from the grave triumphant and victorious, proving everything that he said was true. Our Savior and our Lord, belief in that is counted to us as righteousness, even though not a single one of us 
is righteous in practice. If we could scan back over the last 24 hours for every person in here, including and maybe especially me, we would see that none of us deserves to be called righteous by God. But our belief in Jesus Christ is credited to us as righteousness. And that's the good news of Christianity. Non-Christians can put their faith in Jesus and receive his righteousness and become Christians. Christians can remember that they are justified and redeemed by belief in Jesus Christ. And then they can live a daily lifestyle of belief. And so with all that in mind and everything we've seen in Genesis, I just want to give you three encouragements as we close this sermon and our fall sermons in Genesis. Three encouragements to believe God. Because remember, this is not a magical feeling. Like I want to feel like I believe God. This is a determination. This is something that we do. Believe God. Encouragement number one. Believe God by remembering who he is. I want to encourage you and me to believe God by remembering who he is. That's how he began the two promises in our passage back in Genesis 15. Verse 1, he said, I am your shield. Verse 7, he said, I am the Lord. It starts with remembering who he is. He is the shield. He is the Lord. And I just want us to take just a brief minute to remember who he is. Here's some things the Bible says. God is light. God is love. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God abounds in love and faithfulness. God is not like man. He never changes his mind. God is the sovereign Lord, consuming fire. He is a jealous God. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is mighty and awesome. He is eternal. He is the only God, the only rock. He is our refuge and strength. He is God most high. He is our helper, our sustainer, our fortress, our savior. And the list goes on and on. What difference would it make if we lived in light of who God is? Second encouragement, believe God by remembering what he has said. Verse 6 says, and Abram believed the Lord. It doesn't say Abram believed in the Lord. It says Abram believed the Lord. Now, sometimes the Bible does use that language of believing in God, believe in Jesus Christ. But here, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about believing the Lord. What Abram was believing, he wasn't believing in God like some people might believe in ghosts or the way some people might believe in magic or the way little kids might believe in Santa Claus, like believing he exists with a sense of hopefulness about what that might entail. No, Abram believed God because God had just said things to him. And so Abram chose to believe those things that God had said. He took God at his word. He believed his word. And that's the kind of belief that the scripture is encouraging us toward. So you're not trying to conjure up a magical feeling of belief. We're going to think clear-mindedly, well, what has God said? Will I choose to believe it? 
like Abram did. He said to Abram, your reward shall be great. He said to Abram, your very own son is going to be your heir, and you're going to have as many offspring as the stars of heaven. And Abram believed. Earlier in our sermons in Genesis, I handed out a list of promises. And we talked a little bit about this. What would it be like if we really believed God, believed what he said, believed his promises? What if we believed that he gives salvation to all who believe in Jesus? That he works all things together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purposes? That he comforts us in our trials? That he has promised us every spiritual blessing? That he is going to finish the work he began in us. That he will give us peace that surpasses all understanding when we pray. That he'll supply our needs. That he gives rest to the weary. That he gives abundant life to everyone who follows him. That he gives eternal life to everyone who trusts in him. That he will give people power from on high. That he will direct his path, our paths that he will build his church, that Jesus is going to return. What difference would it make for us this week even if we chose to believe the Lord? And then the third encouragement, believe God by remembering what he has done. In verse 7, instead of pointing to the future, what God is promising to do, he points to the past and says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans. In scripture and in history and in thinking back over our own lives, there's great strength for our faith to be had just by remembering what God has already done and how he has already proven himself faithful. Thanksgiving is a great time to do this. And as we close, that's the note we'll close on. It'll be a great segue into next week when we share testimonies of Thanksgiving. But what if we lived our days this week remembering clearly all the things God has done? Let's pray. Father, please let us leave here believing you together, remembering who you are, remembering what you've said, remembering what you've done. Let all these historical stories that we have taken in in the course of our study of Genesis, let them stay in our hearts. Let us live as people who believe you. In Jesus' name, amen.